Um, so this morning, we, will be, we are continuing on in our series in the book of Mark. Now, if you have your Bibles, um, please open them up with me to Mark chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Um, we will also have it posted up on the screen. Here's Mark 2, starting in uh, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, as you may or may not know, um, I'm a sucker for a really good story. Regardless if it's in a book, a movie, or even in a video game, if it has a good storyline, I love it. One of the things that I love the most is how, in good stories, writers take the time to pull back and look at what was going on from different characters' perspectives. How they think and feel about the same situation that another character has already encountered. In fact, this is something that TV uh, writers have caught on to in recent years, uh, and they've built their entire shows around. Uh, their stories develop because each character plays a unique part in that particular moment. Now, one show that uh, Faith and I have come to love uh, is a show called um, Once Upon a Time, which is now in its fifth season. Now, if you haven't seen the show, um, Once Upon a Time takes on well-known fairy tale characters and brings them into the modern world and puts them under this curse where their happy endings and their memories of life in the fairy tale world have been taken away. Now, see, while the show centers on a select few main characters, so Snow White, Prince Charming, their daughter Emma, the evil queen, and, and this boy named Henry, the writers masterfully tell the story through the eyes of different fairy tale characters. And in the process, the individual stories are built into a larger story of the one character who can make a difference in all of their lives. And the, the story of Once Upon a Time, their savior character is Emma. 
Well, as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're going to walk through this historical story, working to see the story from the perspective of each character or, or set of characters. Uh, so we're going to be looking at the friends of the paralytic, the paralytic himself, the scribes and the crowd. In order to come up to a better understanding of the Savior and the true main character, Jesus, now, in a, morning, in a moment, we're going to be starting with the friends of the paralytic. And so, so our passage today uh, picks up in the life of Jesus. So after some, some days after he's begun his ministry. So after standing up and teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, then having gone throughout all Galilee preaching, healing, healing many, including a leper, Jesus has returned to his home base in Capernaum. Now, it doesn't take long before people find out that he's back in town. And they start flooding from all over to him at his own house. Now, one day, word reaches one particular group of guys that Jesus is back. And it causes them to take action. See, this group of guys all had something in common. They had a paralyzed friend. Now, likely they had heard that Jesus had healed many people from all over the area, including this, this leper that we learned about two weeks ago um, in the scripture right before this one, and, and they would have talked about this with their paralyzed friend. They had heard that Jesus made a difference in all these other people's lives, so after talking it over together, they decide that they have to go and see Jesus. So these guys pick up their friend and take him to where Jesus is. Now, in the meantime, Jesus is at home preaching to the people who have come to him. And he has quite the crowd. In fact, verse 2 tells us there were so many people in the house that there was no room whatsoever, not even at the entryway. Think of getting into a really crowded elevator or, or being on the floor right in front of the stage at a rock concert. That's the kind of packed situation that it would have been like inside the house. The house is so full that the people inside really don't have any space to really move around at all. This is what these guys and, their, and the paralytic encounter when they reach the house. Now, if you were in this group of guys, what would you do when you saw the crowd? One thing we might do is we would try to send some scouts in to see if there's any way whatsoever we could, you could work it through the crowd to get to Jesus. Verse four, in verse 4, we see that these guys could not get near him, and that's Jesus, because of the crowds. These guys tried it, and it was pretty clear that it's not going to work. So a second thing we might try is, oh, you know what, I'm just going to wait it out. And the crowd will leave eventually. Now, however, there'd be the risk that if they waited, they might miss their opportunity and be turned away because, well, Jesus might have been too tired. These men weren't willing to take that risk. So there's a third thing we might try. And, you know, it's probably what most of us would have done. I, I have to admit, I probably would have done this. Go home and try again later. But instead of going home, these guys choose a fourth option. And what they do calls us to love others through the roof to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. So let's, let's look at verse 4 again. It says, 
When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. What? This is crazy. Instead of turning around and carrying their friends um, back home, they want to get to Jesus so desperately that they would rather go through the roof of the house than miss out on their friend being changed by meeting Jesus. Think about this kind of love. The time, the investment, the efforts this required. It took for the guys who came to bring their paralyzed friends to where Jesus was. Then they would have to find their way through the crowds of people who were gathered around the, gathered around the house to get close enough to climb onto the roof. Once there, they would have to figure out how to haul their paralyzed friend up to the roof of the building without him falling off his bed. So then once everybody's up there, they would have to dig through the roof, which would have been made of hardened clay and branches, and then lower him down into the space before Jesus. Now, there's a physical challenge here, but there's also an emotional challenge. See, remember, this house is not their own. Can you imagine some of the thoughts that they must have been having? Dude, what's this going to cost us to pay for this roof damage? Uh... What if Jesus is mad because I'm interrupting his teaching time? Now, if that was not enough, remember the house was packed with people to the point where they couldn't move around, and these guys were doing a roof demolition project. See, dust, dirt, other roofing materials would have been falling into the house. Again, they might have been thinking, uh, geez, I, I, I hope I don't fall through the roof with this guy. Um, or, we might have an angry mob on our hands if we drop too much dirt and clay on the people below. And, and uh, we didn't have time to hand out the hard hats. But in spite of these things, they lowered a guy on a bed right over their heads. And the paralytic encountered Jesus. Here's our first application point. We do not have the power to change hearts or heal others, but we can bring others to meet the God who can and will. See, if these guys could have healed their friends, they would have already tried and done so. But even then, the healing that they would have been able to provide would have been at best a physical healing. Their friend would have been able to walk around, but his deepest need would never have been addressed. His separation from a relationship with God, which we're going to look at in a little bit. But can you imagine the excitement of the friends when they heard about Jesus and what he could do? The paralytic could not have gotten to Jesus on his own. So God used this group of guys to be the ones who literally bring this man to himself. These men discipled their friend. 
they came alongside him and literally walked with him to meet Jesus. And they came because they knew their friend had a need. And they believed that Jesus was the answer. See, God used these men as a means by which the paralytic came to Jesus. Just as he is calling us, as his disciples, to be the primary means by which we bring our friends and loved ones into a relationship with him, where they might know Jesus, love Jesus, walk with Jesus, and serve Jesus. But here's the reality. If we're going to lovingly bring others to God, we're going to have to get our hands dirty. See, what these guys did for their, for their paralyzed friend, it wasn't easy, pain-free, or quick. It took time, efforts, the willingness to endure ridicule, courage to press on, and a love that was willing to help their friend through any barriers that would keep him from Jesus. They had faith that Jesus could and would make a difference in their friend's lives, and they loved him through the roof. In the same way that it took time, effort, courage, and love for these guys to bring their friend to meet Jesus, it will also take time, effort, courage, and love for us to walk with others, to know Jesus, love Jesus, walk with Jesus, and to serve Jesus. There are going to be barriers in others' lives, sinful desires, hurts, pain, and more that will keep coming up, both before they enter into a relationship with Jesus and even after. Keep walking with them and calling them back into a relationship with our God who loves us right where we are and wants us to live and walk with him. Now, if you have a relationship with God this morning, here's a question for you. Whether you're an adult or a young adult, student or a kid, who has God placed in your life that he's calling you to love through the roof to bring them to meet Jesus? Parents, take the opportunity on the drive home to talk about this with your kids as a family. Who has God placed in your life that he's calling you to love through the roof to bring them to meet Jesus? Now, if you can't think of anyone, then start praying that God would show you who he is putting in your life to love like this. Now, we've already been introduced to another character, and it begs us to look at the story from his perspective, the paralytic. Now, Scripture doesn't say how long this man has been paralyzed, but regardless of how long, the paralysis was a condition that hindered his ability to do much of anything. He would not have been able to support himself financially or physically. Now, because the details the Scripture does give us, namely that it took four men to carry him and lower him, we can conclude that he suffered from a severe form of paralysis because he was not able to aid the men in his transport at all. At this time in history, people who had physical ailments like this often had to resort to begging 
in order to provide for themselves. But this man, unlike others, had friends who were looking out for him. So when the news came to him that there was a man who could help, where no one else could, you can imagine that he would have done anything, anything, to get to him. Now, when either his friends offered to take him to see Jesus, or when he asked them if they could take him, and they said yes, he was putting his faith in them and in Jesus that he could be changed and healed from his paralysis. His desire to have his life changed was so great that he put his faith in his friends as they raised him from the ground and into the air, which you know, potentially could have been higher than he'd ever been before, and then lowered him through the roof over the heads of an unsuspecting crowd. And as he's coming down right in front of Jesus, and I'm, I'm sure probably inwardly celebrating that his friends hadn't dropped him, all of his hopes are riding on what Jesus will do next. Will Jesus heal me? What will he say? And then Jesus opens his mouth and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Excuse me? What did you say, Jesus? I came all this way because I'm paralyzed and I want to walk. You can imagine the confusion of what in the the world is going on here. But Jesus takes this opportunity to address an even greater need, his spiritual paralysis. See, the paralytic points us to the deeper spiritual reality of our separation from God. See, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when man bought into the lie that we should be independent from God, that we're better off on our own, Our love turned in on ourselves and kept us from walking with God. And the reality is, we've been turning away from him ever since. We have become spiritual paralytics whose hearts are stuck on ourselves. And just like the paralytic, and these men needed someone greater to restore the paralytic's ability to walk, So we need God to change our lives so that we can love him and walk with him again. And maybe this is you this morning. Maybe like the paralytic, you've come to a place where you recognize that you need your life to be changed. You've done everything you could think to do on your own. And maybe even your friends have tried to help you too. But you're still trapped. Like the paralytic, you have gone to the extent of... Uh, Like the paralytic, have you gone to the extent of allowing yourself to be lowered through the roof and you are now peering into Jesus' gaze? But what's next? What was most incredible for the paralytic was something that he might not have even grasped at the moment it happened. He and his friends came to have his physical paralysis healed. But God is so good that he provided an even deeper healing. Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus reaches into this man's life, forgives him, and offers him a restored relationship with our loving God and Father. 
Something only God can do. Only God can heal you of your spiritual paralysis so that you can walk with him. Jesus offered the paralyzed man the chance to not only walk on his own legs, but the opportunity to walk in relationship with God again. Jesus' offer is not just for the paralytic. He offers this to you too. What does he desire from you? A relationship of faith in him. Now verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch that? It could have very easily said, when Jesus saw his faith, looking at the paralytic. Or he could have said, when Jesus saw the faith of his friends. But it doesn't. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. In other words, when we're welcomed into a relationship with God, we're not called to a lone ranger faith. The paralytic couldn't have gotten to Jesus without his friends. In the same way, if it were not for the paralytic, his friends and and everyone else would not have encountered Jesus the way that they had that day. The Jesus who knows our deepest needs, needs that we might not even know that we have, and heals us as we enter into a growing relationship with him. Jesus, who changes our life's direction, walks with us in the way he leads and gives us a spiritual family to help us on the journey. Now, as we've just seen, Jesus knew what was going on in the hearts of both the paralytic and his friends. They came with a desire to be changed, either for their own life, like the paralytic, or for the friend's life. In the same way, Jesus knew what was going on in the hearts of the scribes who were sitting in the crowd. So he turns to them, starting in verse 6, sees the questions that they're asking in their hearts, not out loud, in their hearts, and addresses them in front of the crowd. Here are the questions that they're asking, which we see starting in verse 7. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now see, the scribes had the right question in mind. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, it was the scribes' job to ask questions about other people's teaching. These were the men who had dedicated their lives to studying the Bible and teaching it to others. If we were to put this in the terms of today, we could think of them like the seminary professors or the scholars of the day. They were men who would have studied what the Bible said, as well as what the great teachers and commentary writers of the past would have said as well. And they were sitting in the crowd. And, And isn't it interesting that they were sitting when the house was so crowded? But they were checking out what Jesus was teaching. They were right to believe that no one but God has the authority to forgive sins. Because all sin is really rebellion against God. It's us turning from God and saying that we have the right to decide for ourselves what's best for our lives. So only God can forgive because he's the one we've sinned against. 
So the scribes are there sitting in the crowd and asking in their hearts how this man could possibly have the authority and really the right that only God has to forgive sins. But Jesus turns to them and asks them questions which are at the root of their thoughts without these guys ever saying a word. Now, if you've been in a classroom where a teacher catches a student who isn't paying attention off guard by asking them a question, you can pretty much imagine what the scribes would have looked like in this moment. And you can be sure Jesus caught these guys off guard. Here's what he says, starting in verse 8. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Here's the problem the scribes had and why Jesus called them out. They're asking the right questions, but it's leading them to the wrong conclusions. They were looking at Jesus as a man, but not seeing that he was both God and man. See, in their minds, the idea that Jesus was in fact God was not even a possibility. They knew a lot about God. They were the scholars after all but they missed the relationship that God was offering to his people throughout the entire Old Testament. And as a result, they missed the identity, and by extension, the authority of the one who was standing right in front of them. And we can do this too. We can believe that because we know a lot about God, that we're automatically growing spiritually and following him. But we can miss the relationship and therefore, at times, miss God altogether, even when he's standing right in front of us. So Jesus turns to the scribes and gives them two reasons that point straight to his true identity. First, he goes after the questions that are going on in their hearts without them ever speaking. Proof, and miracle one, that of his authority is God to forgive sins. Then, as further proof... Proof two, he miraculously heals the paralytic. See, his, his actions point to the greater reality, that he was God, and that he came not just to heal physical brokenness, but to heal our spiritual brokenness and separation from him. Now, we've been, we have nearly been introduced to all of the characters present in this historical story. The only ones we've got left are the supporting characters. The crowd. The crowd that was filled with all sorts of people who were there for all sorts of their own reasons. Whether it was sheer curiosity, um, pure desire to know Jesus himself, to want to learn from his teaching, or, or maybe it was hope that a miracle would happen here like that had in other places. They were there, and they were many. Now, some of this crowd had moved out of the way just enough for the four men and the paralytic to get close enough to the house for him to be lifted up to the roof. Some of the crowd had had dirt dropped on their heads as the roof was dug through. 
Some of this crowd had seen the looks of confusion on the faces of the men on the roof and the paralytic when Jesus forgave the man of his sins before actually healing his paralysis. Some of the crowd saw the dumbfounded looks on the faces of the scribes and either held their breath for the way that Jesus spoke to them, or maybe they chuckled um, at the scribes' reaction to Jesus. And Jesus, while he was attending directly to the hearts of the paralytic, the friends, and the scribes, he didn't leave out the crowd. As he spoke to this, chose for all of this to happen right in front of them. See, he, he chose to include them in seeing what was happening as he told the paralytic to take up his mat and go home. For the crazy thing was, the paralytic not only got up immediately, but he was healed to complete strength, to the point where he could carry his own bed, the one that four men had carried him in on, and walked out. The end result was that everyone who was there, who witnessed what Jesus had done, were amazed and glorified God. So this morning we've looked at a few different sets of characters, each who came to Jesus with a different background and different expectations. The paralytic, who knew of his need, but needed others to get him to Jesus. The friends, who loved their friends so much that they were willing to get their hands dirty and love him through the roof to encounter Jesus. The scribes, who knew a lot about, about God, but who needed Jesus to show them that a relationship with God was more than just knowing about him in their heads. They needed to love him in their hearts as well. And then the crowd, who came to Jesus but were astonished by what had happened and were left with the question of how they would respond to what they had just seen and heard. So here's the question for you. Which of these sets of characters do you identify with most? Are you the paralytic, broken and in need of a healer? Remember that it's worth whatever risk it will take to come to Jesus, to enter into a relationship with him and see him completely heal and transform you. Are you the friends? Are you willing to get your hands dirty to bring those around you to meet with Jesus. Well, remember, you don't have to go it alone. You have brothers and sisters around you to partner with you as you walk with others to bring them to Jesus. Are you the scribes? Have you bought into the belief that a relationship is, with God is just about how much you know about him? Remember that Jesus is in the business of completely changing lives, starting with our hearts. Don't miss the great love and relationship that God is calling you into. Are you a part of the crowd, still wrestling with what to do with what you've seen and heard? I if you are, I would encourage you to start as this crowd did. Start by praising God for what you're seeing and hearing. Now, no matter which character or set of characters that you identify with most, know that Jesus 
knows you and your deepest need. He knows how to address it and invites you to the next step of a life with him. He, he loves you that much. See, you are a character in a much larger and far greater love story. The story of God's great love for the world, where Jesus is the true main character. And as we grow in relationship with him, our every interaction with him shows us more and more and more of who he is, how wonderful he is, and the great love and power towards those who put their faith in him. Let's pray that God would not only show us where we are in our relationship with him, but he would show us the next step to grow in that relationship, and he would make our hearts willing to take it as we love him. Father, we, we come to you this morning. We're all in different places, Lord. We need you. Lord, call our hearts, draw us, help us to know if there's people that are in our lives that we need to walk alongside and bring them to you, Lord. Who those people are, whether they know you or they don't. Lord, help us to enter into those relationships. Give us the courage and the love. Lord, if it's, if it's not knowing you and knowing that we need you to come into our lives and change us, Lord, come, help us to give our lives to you, Lord. Help us to see what it is to walk with you and to love you. Lord, and I pray that you would help us all to see where you're drawing us to that next step in a relationship with you. Lord, because it is so worth it. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've come and done for us, Lord. And be with us this morning as we walk in a relationship with you. Pray in your name. Amen.